0: Hey team, Oliver here. This week Horace joins me to talk about his latest blog post about the new transport metric, a modicum of transport or the MOT. Developing new metrics is in some ways a provocation to remap how we think about new things and change the framework of how we view the incumbents as well. This is no different. Like the horsepower before it, or the bite, or the monthly active user, we are actively trying to develop new nomenclature, metrics, and ratios that sit around this phenomenon we call micromobility. You'll hear us discuss the name and would love your feedback on the concept, especially if there's a name that you feel might be easier or more intuitive to understand. In the meantime, thank you again for your dedicated listenership, and we really appreciate all the feedback that we do get. And with that, here is Horace. Let's go. Hello, and welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today, Horace. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Excellent. Hey, well, look, we left off this conversation last time talking about COP26 and where we had got to with... The climate, or well, the potential climate impact of micromobility, and subsequently you've written a blog post, a modicum of transport, the new measure of competition for mobility, which talked about new ways of thinking about measuring the impact of micromobility, which I thought was fascinating and really ties into a lot of the things that we've talked about on the show. But is, in my mind, a kind of step change in terms of the kind of work that we've done in the space, which is we're actually coming up with new metrics. So I thought maybe what we'd do is take the time on the show to kind of unpack that a little bit and talk through why you... Well, one, what is it? And then we can get into why we've done this.
1: Well, very simply, it's, it's a new quantity of energy divided by the value it provides. So it's like the simplest thing it, to kind of come close to it is like the MPG or the miles per gallon metric or in the case of European or other non-US territories it's liters of fuel per kilometer or hundreds of kilometer or whatever it is you're using locally. The point being, you know, it's it's a measure of the uh, cost of delivering a value, so that's it. It's just a new measure, but it but with one twist, and we'll get into why that twist is necessary. But the reason I, I came up with it is that it, we need to compare modes, and we need to compare the performance of new modes of micromobility. And when you're dealing with like comparing a scooter and a car, it's very difficult to use the old measure. The old measure being either MPG in terms of consumption or fuel or horsepower or acceleration or other things which are cited when it comes to cars. Yeah, sure. We don't have a scooter reference in terms of its performance. We have maybe the size of the battery, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, we're just not expected to go far and and that's about it we really haven't got any way to compare and then then you get into the question of comparing a scooter versus an e-bike or you get into the you know comparing it
0: versus what about a cargo bike they're mm. different very different things so yeah the, i mean people do compare them by saying the scooter has you know 300 watts and this e-bike has 250 watts oh, No, but almost all you know, e-bikes are limited to 250 watts you know mm. if they're
1: regulated and and so you get to these kind of so what you know, or if somebody tells you my bike is 500 watts, I mean, does it mean very much to you, to the to the rider? Yeah, sure. W- going back in time, though, this was exactly the same problem James Watt had when trying to introduce this thing called a steam engine. And at the time, you know, if you wanted to sell an engine to, let's say, the the initial applications were stationary, so these were designed to power equipment or pumps. Typically, they were used in mining to keep the water out of the shaft the the mining shaft and so you would use pumps and then you may also have used a draft horses for milling flour you know you drove a millstone or you maybe transported things with draft horses or oxen or something of that nature so you didn't mm-hmm. really need to measure like you know ships weren't measured the same way and land transport was a little different and And again, stationary machines were pulled by horses, occasionally by water or wind, but it was going to be reliable, that is always available. It had to be an animal. And so that's where the notion of a horsepower came in, because Watt was trying to explain to his customer, potential customer, like this machine saves you the cost of employing so many horses to do the job. Keeping in mind, by the way, that a horse... Could not work twenty four seven. It had to mm-hmm. you know work for a set number of hours, then it had to be rested, fed, sleep. and then you know if you needed to run the operation twenty four seven, you have to have shifts of horses continuing. So you had to have a stable of horses to keep one machine running. So the calculation in the mind of a let's say a mine operator or or a miller, was, you know, how many horses do I need to operate this one piece of machinery, even if there's only one horse then you know, he's got to be available 24 seven. So there's this question of comparison of a new machine based on what the old mode of power was. And so we, over time, got very used to the notion of horsepower to define the steam, but also then later the car. Even though the car wasn't mm. substituting, although you, we tend to think, yeah, well, well, you know, one horse was pulling a coach. The idea of a car having one horsepower was uh, insufficient. So, you know, we very quickly went to multiple horsepowers per car. But at that moment, it didn't quite make sense because why do you need 15 horses for one vehicle carrying three people at most or something like a Model T? Yeah. And so so what you're seeing is that measure was created And we still, by the way, haven't got a good measure for torque. I mean, torque is measured in foot pounds in the SAE units, and it's measured in Newton meters in in metric system. And so people don't have a concept in their mind of the actual force that an engine can exert on a shaft. That's called torque. It's actually more useful measure, arguably, than horsepower is, but we're kind of stuck with horsepower. And so the thing that I was thinking about was the horsepower became synonymous with the industrial revolution. But then when we got into new machine types, like let's say computers, and in this article that you you can find a Mm. micromobility blog. Which we'll link to in the show notes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so there, when you got a new industry also emerged much later, the computer industry, it also had to create new measures of performance. Because again, you couldn't use horsepower to define what a computer does. It wasn't going to be lifting things or pulling things. It was going to either compute or store data. And so for Mm -hmm. those two measures, we didn't really know how to define data. This wasn't part of the vernacular. People might've thought of, okay, pages of... And even by the way, as late as the 1980s, when you were told that, oh, you have a floppy disk drive, okay, and the floppy disk was supposedly 360K Okay, 360 kilobytes, not very much. But a floppy disk initially was said, oh, we can store hundreds of books or something of that nature, right? Because mm-hmm. mm. uh, people had to have a, a, a sense in their minds in the 1980s of what is a unit of measure of storage. So they were using books or pages of typewritten pages, you know. But this is before people got used to the idea of K and then mega and gigabytes. So that's a storage measure. And by the way, you, th- you think, what is a byte? Oh, a byte is 8 bits. Why, why 8 bits? Well, 8 bits happens to be enough to encode a character or almost any character and digits up to a certain size or sort of integers. Mm. And so the computer people, the engineers, were like saying, well, we use this 8-bit byte and we're going to then make multiples of those to define the storage capacity of computers. And so we ended up with the now well understood gigabytes and so on. And also in terms of the speed of the computer, we didn't know how to think about mm. how fast it was like how many computations can it do per minute? And so instead of kind of megaflops and gigaflops, most people really just use the clock cycle. So this is like roughly analogous to how many instructions it can execute, although not quite, but still people said, oh, it's a five megahertz computer or four point seven seven, I remember the original IBM PC. And now we kind of stopped in the mid-2000s that are when we got to about 2.5 gigahertz on a computer. And so now mm. we are moving even towards the question of how many cores a computer has. So how many, how many compute cores and how many cores of, let's say, high speed and low power. And so the latest chip from Apple, the M1 Pro, is defined in these terms of, of, you know, we don't really know that it's megahertz, but we know how many cores it has and how many transistors are in its co- on, a, on a die, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of mm. this. You see each industry begins to redefine its measure of performance. And as it moves forward, it might actually move that performance measure to a new thing like power consumption. And you can see the last Keynote from Apple gives you a little lecture on how to trade off computation from impact in power usage and therefore battery life. So you have, sure. we've had this period of transition in compute. And then you, you you look at the internet era and like people are not really that concerned in the web about how fast computers are, because what mattered more was, let's say, bandwidth, or then maybe it was about, you know, businesses measuring their performance in terms of how many users they had. And then you had millions Mm. active users. So what mattered was how many active users and daily users, you know, DAOs and Maos and dwell times and all these other measures of performance of internet companies. So they weren't going around saying, well, we made so many Billions in sales, rather they were measuring their performance in terms of how many users they had. Now, if you go to Web3, or also known as crypto, you know, you have yet other measures in terms of, mm. you know, either power consumption, transaction costs and fuel and others. T- other- I
0: think, yeah, it's things like TPS or... In the case of crypto loans and stuff like that, TPL.
1: And also, yeah, maybe the cost in terms of gas, you know, like the cost to verify a transaction and so on. So you see, Mm -hmm. every industry Mm -hmm. as it's born has to redefine itself so that it doesn't because none of the old measures are relevant anymore. And so it has to invent for itself a new measure of performance. And then it compares itself with itself in the past. So we say we're getting better. It also compares between competitors and say we are better on this measure than someone else in this space. So it's, it's interesting that these become part of our language, and we're very aware of what they mean now when you know, when you talk about horsepower, when you talk about bits and bytes, and when you talk about megahertz and gigahertz, and you t- when you're talking about millions of users and eyeballs, if you will, or mm. likes or whatever else, you know, Facebook invents something as far as engagement, and then they, they publish this data, and everybody compares themselves on that basis. And this is very, very important because, it, first of all, it's a clear signal that a new basis of competition exists. And so by declaring this is this is relevant, we are declaring that we are establishing a new a new market, a new basis of competition. And you know, we we want you to pay attention to this. And also, again, from an engineering point of view, all kinds of reasons. But when you think about mobility today, and again, as I said in the beginning, I said that how do you compare a scooter with a car? but how do you compare two different micromobility modes,
0: mm. then
1: the, the challenge is to come up with something as a unitary figure. So it's not just saying, let's compare distance of travel, but let's let's compare a ratio of performance, so like X for, for given Y. So the ratios I said in the beginning is energy divided by distance of travel. This is your typical measurement today of MPG, miles per gallon. Mm-hmm. It's actually inverted. It's gallons per mile in my new way of thinking.
0: Mm. But
1: it's more precise than that because we're not measuring gallons of fuel, which you know is is convenient, but we, we're measuring kilowatts of or kilowatt hours of of output. And so the kilowatt hour is
0: what batteries mm. are usually define in terms of capacity. Well, I feel like in some ways this comes off the research that we had done. You know, we had that episode that we did probably like three episodes ago, where you talked about batteries that carry themselves, batteries that we carry and batteries that carry us.
1: So the energy density of a battery, although maybe high apparently from measuring the kilowatt hours, but it's very heavy at the same time. So you know, Mm. you have a question of density per kilogram. But the thing I'm trying to capture, though, is that, let's say, how much energy expenditure of a certain stored value, let's say you have available 100 kilowatt hours, you can ask, okay, how much can I get? And most people say there's a range available to you in a car, uh, given the mm. amount of storage you have of batteries power. But I'm, I'm adding a thing in the denominator, in other words, that you're dividing that kilowatt hour by, and that's the weight of the payload. And that's the big Mm. difference so it's not just saying okay this much energy gets me this far but this much energy gets this object which may weigh so much now initially the way i thought about it was one person so the way it used to be is kilowatt hours per passenger kilometer or passenger mile this is where Mm -hmm. the the way Mm -hmm. the way this is typically defined but passenger is an arbitrary Mm. figure because different people weigh different things and what if you're transporting goods rather than people So instead of that, I said, let's use a weight measure or mass and use a kilogram times the distance as the denominator. And so you're saying effectively is how much energy do I need to transport an object, a certain weight, a certain distance, and that energy value, then I said, let's create a quantum of it, a a unit of it that like one horsepower is exactly this much energy delivered over this much distance. So in this case, what I defined then is this unit, what I called a modicum of transport, an MOT, is Mm -hmm. initially was was defined as 10 kilowatt hours divided by 100 kilograms times one kilometer, which means that in order to deliver a hundred kilogram payload, which is roughly a person plus something Mm -hmm. for one kilometer should take no more than 10 kilowatt hours and the idea then became to reduce that to
0: 0.1 and yeah well i was going to say so 0.1 kilowatt hours per kilogram per kilometer effectively is saying you have to transport a one kilogram thing your vehicle should be appropriately sized for that thing that is one kilogram versus for example transporting someone who's 100 kgs, and then transporting something that's a ton. I mean, that's the sense that I get around this, is that you'd only need 0.1 kilowatt hours to transport that one kilogram thing for one kilometer. And then if you think about it, you go, your vehicle is obviously not gonna, you're not gonna be able to do it with a car. You might not even be able to do it with a bike, but is there some even smaller vehicle? But I guess that's the point, right? When we think about it and why it's important, is because micromobility allows us to, have that flexibility in the, in the vehicles. So the the idea is that we can
1: now compare the efficiency of different vehicles, but not just to transport themselves, which is what mm-hmm. miles per gallon is, but rather dividing by the payload. If you mm-hmm. have, so this this comes into play with cars as well. If you have a car with four passengers in it, that MPG figure should be considered per passenger. And that's a lot more useful information because you're, you're, you're much more competitive as a car transporting four people, five people at a time. So a road trip in a car with, with full occupancy is going to be actually more efficient than flying those five people on a jet plane for typically, let's say 500 kilometers or so. Mm -hmm. You know, we think flying is very inefficient, but in fact, a uh, well-utilized small car can do a a pretty good job, but it has to be filled with people. And that's the problem with cars is they're not used in their full capacity. Their average occupancy of a car is 1.2 passengers. So, Mm. you know, it rounds down to ones. Why do you have all this extra capacity? This is the logic of micromobility is that the car is not sized to the person. It's kind of sized to what is, you know, nominally a family, but it is, you know, it's arbitrary why it's that way, you know? So the the question is, why don't we measure, firstly, why don't we measure on a passenger basis? Airlines do, by the way, you know, all, mm. all measurements mm. for airlines are divided by the number of seats and passengers within those seats. So if a, if an airplane has very low occupancy, it's unprofitable, And the route would probably be canceled if they couldn't fill the seats on a a regular basis. And that's that's a very sensitive measure, is the occupancy measure for any public transport. It's true also for buses. It's true also for trains. You have to fill the seats. Otherwise, the system doesn't work. But we don't worry about filling the seats in cars. If we did, we would have a much more efficient system. But right now, cars are effectively single occupant. And if you then if you then say ah okay well let's make all modes defined defined by the passenger uh, uh, qu- count the passenger uh, uh, number you're going to see the gross inefficiency of the automobile and mm. that's what this is about really so it's not that I'm inventing. A new way of and, and and by the way, this was inspired by a table that's available on Wikipedia that measures exactly the energy efficiency of transport, and it ends with you know an energy consumption figure, which is again watt hours per mm. kilometer passenger. All I did was I made the passenger into a weight that is allows us to also think about you know delivering meals or you know, like the business of delivering packages, the business of delivering other objects, and you ask yourself, okay, it's on a per kilogram basis. And so the modicum, now going to this question about why did I define the name, first of all, the M-O-T, and secondly, why did I choose that particular number for it? And so the reason I did that is because I wanted to ask, what is the one horsepower equivalent? What is the substitution you know you're substituting a horse initially in the olden days and now we're substituting or trying to deliver one person 1 kilometer how much energy do we need to move one person 1 kilometer was roughly the the thinking i had and yes there are mm. you know there's the bicycle which is super efficient the e-bicycle is probably actually even more efficient and then you look at walking and then you look at even uh, scooters and velomobile velomobile is a sort of a recumbent bicycle with a fairing on it which actually has very low air resistance and that actually is below 1 mot 1 mot the way i have it roughly speaking is about it's not a minimum but it's like appropriate amount needed to move a person right that's why the modicum is, a, is and then you don't provide any sort of speed on that one well again the speed is on an average basis of what the, the vehicle tends to go at it's not that mm. you could do much better than one if you we're hyper-miling or, you know, like a car. Yeah, exactly, well, I was thinking that they just go incredibly slowly. Well, a car, you know? but it's the same with MPG. If you if you said, well, that's why they say all the time your mileage may vary, but the idea is that, yeah, a car, let's say, and I'm going to use the American MPG for a moment here, but, you know, I could flip in, in, the, in my head if I want, but it basically you could say, okay, let's say I get 30 MPG miles per gallon and someone would say, well, you know, yeah, I never get that, or, you know, I, I tend to get, you know, only 25 and other people would say well i'm a super cautious driver and i get 35 so you'll see a range of values but typically people Mm. say oh but you know that car has roughly 30 mpg or five liters per hundred kilometers if you're in europe and then there's also co2 measures as well similarly like you know do you drive
0: in a certain manner and so you might burn more fuel and cause more pollution if you're too aggressive i have a quick question about this which is, you know, so obviously you've gone and compared it to buses and to trains and to cars and both, you know, ICE cars and EV cars. One of the things obviously mobility is quite good at is a lot of the vehicles are single occupancy. You know, you build, your bikes are built to be single occupancy. How did you square it with cars? Did you take it as the average occupancy or did you take it as fully occupied or as just with a single driver? So again, for the car, the measure becomes based on the average
1: occupancy. Again, just like you have average mileage or average fuel consumption, that is where the energy value comes from. So when, when you compare cars like a very economical car versus an SUV, you're going to see the impact in fuel there are some assumptions being made when you average these things out and so when you're we're were going to say that let's say volkswagen polo has mot rating of 32 Mm -hmm. let's say something in the 10 range like an urban train so like a a subway is about 12. so the subway roughly speaking then is one third of the energy to transport one passenger now in the case of The urban train, there is an occupancy figure you're using as an average. And in the case of the car, it's it's 1.2, which is, again, an average. You might not see that in, in all markets, though. So the idea is, again, for the purpose of comparing these modes, you can roughly say, yes, a car with its typical occupancy, with its typical speed, its typical mix of city and rural driving ends up being three times worse than a subway and that's the point about the unit of uh, that i chose of 1 mot 1 mot is micromobility in fact mm-hmm. we can define micromobility using this unit because all this arguments about what is it what is it is it speed of of vehicles is it is size of vehicles Is it weight of vehicles they get this definition gets pulled in all directions yeah by different interests you know who want to see it defined based on who they are because we are you know, scooters, or we are bikes, or we are quads, or whatever. And they said, well, we want to be included, and so on. So, my point here would be saying, okay, let's define it differently than the 500 kilograms, which is what I put forward initially as a proposal. Rather than that, let's just say it's MOT of less than 10. So
0: what does that mm-hmm. mean then? Okay, so anything less than 10. So you mean broadly micromobility as a category will be less than 10. That's the aim.
1: We could say that, but again, it, micromobility is far bigger idea than, than any mm. of this, but it's another way mm. of triangulating on what it is because people like yeah, to sure. see concrete measures. So on one thing is weight, which I've always advocated for, but also the other one is efficiency. Now this is, again, measuring the amount of energy needed to move 100 kilograms for one kilometer. And as a result then using the appropriate arithmetic to get to one MOT. Now, that means that you don't have to know if it's watt-hours per kilograms or whatever the units, but I will simply put it to you that one MOT is enough for the average person to be moved using a very, very efficient vehicle. And if you go even more efficient, like I said, you can go to 0.5 MOT if you're using a Velomobile, but it's not a very common mm-hmm. form factor. But if you then say that, okay, then as a result... Every, you know, 10 times of it, every multiple of that, so let's say 10X, 10 MOTs, that's roughly public transit. 20 MOTs, that's roughly, you know, the electric car. And that is indeed sort of these steps you have in your head. So like, okay, 10 MOTs, transit, 20 MOTs, electric car. 30 MOT, Mm. it's very economical, internal combustion-like car. And then you get into SUVs, which are like, 50, 60 mOt. So you have, mm-hmm. you know, you have these steps up, and then this idea of quantum orbits or whatever you want to call them, and say, all right, this is where we are. So an SUV then is roughly 50 times less efficient at delivering what is effectively the payload here. Again, the payload is a passenger or 100 kilograms. And if you said, mm-hmm. oh, oh, by the way, we're delivering pizza instead. You can calculate the MOT equivalent for pizza, which is because instead of using 100 kilograms, you use one kilogram. Okay, so so yeah. what is it in that case? So it just goes through the roof. For food, you shouldn't even have one MOT. You should have a 0.01, you know, because you're delivering pizza, which is even using on-demand micromobility is a pretty poor way to deliver a few calories, you know, at a
0: time. Mm-hmm. But that's how, mm-hmm. that's how people want to have their food, right? So, the- oh, let alone a car. I mean, you think about it and just go, that that blow it out to... Hundreds, you know. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, the car becomes grotesque, right? Because you're dealing with mm. three thousand pounds to deliver one pound. So the idea, therefore, is to focus the mind on the fact that there's a payload. And stepping back a little further, the idea of micromobilities that we're rethinking the frame of reference for transportation. When you Mm. had the car, your frame of reference was the car. When you had shared vehicles, including vehicles as services, which is the Uber model, then Mm -hmm. you're thinking about trips and you're thinking perhaps about miles and so you're servitizing what was a product so that's good okay we're moving forward but then i've always maintained that micro mobility takes it one step further and then like we call it smiles but it's also the outcome the outcome is the delivery of the person to a destination and so the person becomes part of the equation they have to be you can't just say well we're just putting you a mile away, but we're doing so by by carrying 3,000 pounds along the way. Well, that's got to get paid for, right? The 3,000 shuffling Mm. of 3,000 pounds. The equivalency here is though that, hey, let's focus on the energy and the payload and therefore understand that you're doing it 40 times worse the way you are thinking about. And if, if there's an alternative, this is how it is. And that... MOT figure, as a result, becomes usable in terms of emissions, in terms of climate, in terms of all of these other externalities, because we are able to say not, you know, how much carbon did you did you create, but how much carbon given the amount of payload you delivered. As all these things do, eventually you start to think differently. And whether you're yeah. thinking horsepower or megabytes or active users you need to start to rethink about the
0: world in those terms and that's what new measures do for you. Totally, a couple of things here. So one, I find it one of the things that I was thinking about in terms of the name modicum, I mean, I know that you've kind of maybe talked about this generally, but I'm I'm kind of curious on the word modicum of transport. And the reason that I ask that is one of the things that is you know, you go and say to someone, oh, it's a modicum of transport. It feels abstract and it feels hard to understand versus something like a horsepower. You just, I remember when I first heard, heard about horsepower and just going like, well, that's intuitive. Yeah. It's one <laughs> horse and that's the power from one horse, right? And so how do we think about that? And and maybe there's another, maybe this is a, a question for our listeners. And uh, It, it, it could further, be, for... we're
1: open to suggestions here. So I chose the word modicum because it means a small quantity of something desirable and the small mm, quantity is okay. undefined to how much, how small it is. And we are assuming it's desirable, but basically I didn't use the word minimum
0: of mobility, you know, the micro of mobility or something like that. What I was thinking of is like a micro mobility mile. It's the unit to transport like a kilo kilometer. But then to my defense, I would say that a bit and a bite are very
1: abstract. I have to say that a, a byte is relevant because it roughly encodes one character. Of course, the choice of 8 bits is a little bit arbitrary. You could mm-hmm. do the entire alphabet with fewer than 8 bits. But generally, the idea was that you know computer engineers kind of settled on 8 as what I would call a modicum of storage. right? What is the quantity of storage that we feel that is sufficiently useful for doing some work and in the case of computing it was like okay that work involves storing a character or a small you know a number up to a certain value and That's how, you know, you compromise and engineering is all about deciding what to compromise on. And so in that sense, it depends on the industry. And, you know, the original horsepower was very tangible. Like there's a horse again. However, people misuse that often. And that's the problem with the horsepower is the idea is like, it turns out that a human being, an Mm. athletic human being on a bicycle can easily create one horsepower. Okay. But that doesn't mean that a person is as strong as a horse. Far from it. So that that initial measure, people got into their heads. Oh, it's like having a car with 30 horsepower. It's like imagining having 30 horses pulling your car. It's not quite the same thing at all. You know, you don't have no. that in any way. And over time, we kind of swept that under the rug as saying, well, is that really an accurate measure of what a horse can do? Mm, okay. Let's just go with that word. So... In some ways, I could argue against the horsepower as a modicum of power. And I could argue that the bite, which is a funny bite with a Y, why did they pick bite? It's funny, isn't it? That they made up a word. Mm. They made up mm. a word which sounds like bite with the I, but it's a Y, which means it's not a bite as in what you use your teeth with. So it it's funny how we got used to that. And it was maybe tongue in cheek that they chose the word bite that way because it felt, it sounded like, oh, a chunk, you know, so much something you can grab onto. I'll give you another example from astronomy. There's something about measuring interstellar distances, and you have things like astronomical unit, or you have a parsec. A parsec is—I could be wrong about this. It's like the mean distance between the Earth and the Sun. So you you might measure things in. Okay, we use this metaphorical body measurements, like the original yard was the distance from the king's nose to the first joint of their middle finger. So why would they choose that as the really? Y- Wait, is that where a yard yeah, came yeah, yeah. from?
0: Why is this, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, I love. I do. I must say, I do find their kind of imperial measurement systems completely another leap. Well, bananas. yeah, like I don't know. I don't know, know how many how many yards are in a kilometer or in a mile. But I don't, I don't know. But yeah. I'll tell you why
1: this biological measurements of like you know body parts. The reason and mm. the foot is the same way. It was roughly you know the length of a person's foot with a shoe on, I presume. Mm. But it's it's like the reason was because yards were used to measure cloth. So the way a tailor would measure okay, you want three yards of cloth. He would literally take a piece of cloth and then hold it up to his nose and then stretch his arm out and then say, okay, there's one. And then you pick up another fold and then here's two and here's three. And then you cut it there and say, okay, here's your three yards. But the problem was that every tailor's arm was a different length. So they decided that, hey, we're going to use the king's arm as the official definition of a yard. And so that's how that measure came along. Now, You know, historically, every empire had a different, slightly different foot, slightly
0: different mile, you know, and the historians have struggled. You can only think of like the diminutive French rulers with their, you know, (laughs) short arms and things like that. (laughs) uh, But
1: it's, it's, you can see, you know. Don't
0: buy your fabric from France, boys. (laughs) Yeah, and and historians are are trying to
1: figure these out all the time. It's like, what were the architects using as a basic rule for measuring things? Because they also didn't know what pie was in ancient times, and they were using ratios like 22 over 7. I brought up the astronomical unit because when you think about it, why should we measure the universe as the distance between our planet and our sun? Why? Well, because Mm. we're in the middle of Mm. it, right? So we're just as bad as the king, you know, using the king's body measurements. But it's like, in this case... I am using an approximation of a human in the sense of saying 100 kilograms. Now, the average human doesn't weigh 100 kilograms. They probably weigh something closer to 70, but I assume that they have stuff with them. And maybe, you know, just to round it out to a nice number. And that gets us to this figure of one MOT, a one M-O-T. By the way, the plural, I chose a Z as the plural MOTS. Again, completely randomly, or someone suggested mm-hmm. it to me. A physicist I know, you know, he said it's kind of cool. He, I passed this by real physicists, by the way, and the, you know, they said, well, we, lots of people know that this is the way you measure efficiency of transport. Of course, it's going to yeah. be kilowatts divided by person distances. But what he liked is like, okay, so you put the units in front of it, the, the actual numbers saying that roughly this is enough for one person okay then that makes it something that gives it kind of a usable yardstick it's a yardstick after all right so Mm, so mm. that's why but i'm promoting it for the purpose of micromobility because it's it's again it dovetails nicely it's it's as if i measured the world of transportation using micromobility i say the absolute unit that we should measure all mobility with. Is the amount of energy it takes for micromobility to deliver one person because then everything becomes a multiple of micromobility. So, how yes. many and this times is why worse? I love it.
0: I think it's great. I do think we need to work on the name, but that's fine. The one thing, that, so, so I want to go back to one point that you made about why was the yard a yard and it all came back to every tailor's arm was different. And so, we went back to the king. And so, when you think about it and you go, well, the development of all of these things, like it's the same with, I imagine that we now have standardization, and that's what the Society of Automotive Engineers, they became the source and the keepers of power around that particular metric, and then subsequently, we'd subsequently go on and, and regulate a whole bunch of stuff based on their definitions. So who is the body that in theory would adopt a MOTS and say, we're going to start measuring things around MOTSs? Well, certainly the Society of Automotive Engineers, which is an American institution, but there is a
1: European equivalent and probably a Japanese equivalent and Chinese equivalent. There are these sort of standards bodies that debate definitions. And I think the SAE also standardized what the horsepower is, because by the way, that too sort of varied over time. But in my case, I've already chosen SI units. So everything is defined in terms of... So there isn't a question mark as what is a passenger. I simply say it's 100 kilos. Mm-hmm. And we know what a watt yeah. is. We know. By the way, here's a, <laughs> this is getting a little bit in the weeds. But if you take these units that I came up with, this is like watt hours divided by kilograms and kilometers. Mm. If you actually cancel out these things, because you can break them down into further... Well, not the kilometer. There's the base units, but the watt can be broken down further. And then there's time in terms of hours, there's distances and weights. You actually divide them and it comes down to meters per second per second, which is a bit of a weird measurement because that's acceleration. So it's translatable to something that is completely unrelated. So like, for example, on Earth, an object being dropped accelerates towards the ground at the rate of 9.8 meters per second per second, which is this constant that we learned early on in physics that that is how we measure the gravitational force of the earth because it, it accelerates objects at that speed. Well, again, a mott happens to be about a third of that number. <laughs> but it's a completely irrelevant argument. And I thought it was simply amusing to do so. You can, by the way, also calculate miles per gallon to be one over area. These are a bit pedantic and uninteresting in and- Feel free to ignore that information, but it is <laughs> it is it is something that I, I'm a, aware of as kind of a quirk. But it it doesn't make it sure. doesn't make a difference in terms of conceptualizing this. But it does point out that this is in many ways an abstraction. It is a completely made up number that divides mm. things that normally are not related to one another. So energy, weight, and distance are happen to be units of measure, but I put them together give them a number in front, which is the 0.1, and say that represents a MOT. So MOT is these particular ratios of units plus this particular quantum of those units. And that gives us a yardstick. And that's all it is. It's a yardstick, but it's the right yardstick, in my opinion, to measure what it really costs and what we're really getting for it that's why it hasn't been, and this is why it's of transport, not of micro. It's all transport can be reduced Mm, to this mm. very basic question of what does it cost to deliver the desired outcome, which is moving something a certain distance. So it's almost like once you step back and say, well, it should have been around for a while. And the reason we don't have it actually is probably entirely accidental because we got used to using other things. So maybe we should go to the SAE and say, guys... Let's standardize on the MOT. You know, maybe we'll give it a different name. But, yeah, but I then... mean,
0: I think that the other thing as well, and I'll, I'll push back on this one, is, is saying, until now, we've really only had, if you, if you were going from point to point in terms of a vehicle, you really might have had, like, motorbikes as one form factor and cars. You, you know, like, to go and compare something as a train to, you know, different types of vehicles. I also think as well, in the, specifically, we've only ever really had ICE cars. And we're only now starting to go, okay, with an EV, how do we start comparing an ICE car to yeah, an EV car? Yeah, great point. Because great it's still point. like, you, you don't even do that these days. Like, I remember, I mean, I've got a Tesla and they don't tell you how many horsepower it has.
1: No, it's not that you know? relevant. But also, the MPG figure, which we're still using to sort of measure efficiency of cars, begins to be less and less relevant. So, the the mm-hmm. U.S. uses something called... E MPG, which is equivalent MPG. Yes. So they convert yes. kilowatt hours into some some like how much gasoline is that equivalent to? You know, it's completely ridiculous. But you still are not measuring okay, so so I, I'm doing it so that I can compare maybe the efficiency of my electric car to, to a gasoline equivalent. But really Mm -hmm. what matters is how much energy does it take to move the person that's in it? Isn't that what really matters? Not to how much it costs to move the whole vehicle. And when we go around saying, well, we're burning all this gasoline to move the car. That is a car-centric view of the cost and the benefit equation, right? The cost to move a car is what we're asking when we talk about MPG. And whether the car is one or five people is irrelevant. In fact, the MPG mm. usually doesn't change that much if you fill it up with people because the weight of the people is so much lower than the weight of the car. So your MPG mm. doesn't even change all that much if you fully utilize it. So the problem is that we've been saddled with an inappropriate measure of efficiency on transport simply because of legacy and accidents of history. We have to think more, like now we are in, an, in not just an electric world, which with gallons don't make sense anymore, but also when a mode of multiple form factors, potentially hundreds exactly. of them, hundreds of them. And so exactly. how, how do we deal yeah. with the comparison now? How do I deal with mm. measuring whether my scooter is better than your e-bike or your cargo bike is better than that
0: bus? You know, it, you know, you know, you know it, moving children. Interestingly, Interestingly, I have a feeling this is exactly where the world we're gonna get into when we start talking about crypto in depth when you start realizing that we've used kind of, we've had fiat, fiat money as a way to compare different economies and different currencies time. now. Absolutely, web, uh, web three. But, and- but I think what we're gonna see is just a proliferation of different, different stores or different creations of value and means of and exchange. This and exactly this, and Which- this is exactly the struggle. This is exactly the struggle the industry of crypto has.
1: It's like it cannot explain itself to the world because it, all it has is the old measure of fiat currencies. So even the Bitcoin, mm. it, some wise guys out there would say, well, you know, you should be measuring the other ways, like how many of your paper money are equivalent to the unfungible token or my hard currency is actually the crypto and your funny money is the stuff that needs to explain itself to me. So it's not the other mm. way, like, you know, how many dollars per Bitcoin. It's rather, it's a, it could be millions, it could be infinite. Because you can make as many as you want of them. Yes. That's what they say now. But the industry has to explain itself to everyone else and has to say, it's not. I'm not even going to measure myself in terms of your arbitrary paper money. You know, There's 21 million Bitcoin and that's the end of it. So now yeah. I, I'm sort of playing as not the devil's advocate, but sort of advocating for that particular argument. That But it needs more. It needs much more nuance in terms of explaining itself. So what I'm trying to do with the MOT is to try to define... The, the value of micromobility, but also to say that actually all mobility
0: should be seen through this. That's the key. Yes. Oh, no, no. I 100% get it. And I love it. And I th- also think as well that this pairs really well with Olaf Sacker's TCC. So the throughput construction cost. So effectively, one, we can look at the actual unit. But then you go and pair that to infrastructure. And you say, great. So when we go and develop infrastructure and we're thinking about throughput, we need to be able to put a certain number of vehicles through or passengers through a particular piece of infrastructure within a particular time frame. And what's the cost of constructing that? And then... What is that ratio? And so his point is micromobility and specifically bike lanes are like the most open clothes Case for investment ever because they'd allowed for a huge amount of throughput on, on a per kilometer basis.
1: Yeah, because that's another problem, right? That roadways and other infrastructures are not measured correctly either because you don't think about yes. the amount of people. Like the famous, I don't know if I probably said this before, but the to me, the thing that smacked me in the face was that when Brooklyn Bridge in New York, which I knew well because I used to live nearby the Brooklyn Bridge and I could see it out my window. So, I was very, mm. very fond of the Brooklyn Bridge. I went over it many times on foot and on bicycle and using a car. It never occurred to me that it used to be used for public transit as well. So, there was an elevated tram line or the equivalent of the subway running on it. Mm. And that was true up until 1948 because the Manhattan Bridge had been already built many years earlier. And then that was dedicated to transporting the trains. So, trains either go underground under the, the East River or they go over the Manhattan Bridge. So the Brooklyn Bridge got turned over 100% to cars and maybe a few pedestrians at the time. But this mm-hmm. all happened in 1948. But as a result, the amount of people who were actually being transported across the bridge collapsed. And this was something that I I wasn't aware of, but it used to be that it because of the high the traffic of trams again it was built by the way way before the car was built Mm. this was built in the 1880s i think or even earlier i forget 60s or 70s even it was very early on and that was used primarily by pedestrians maybe and then later by these trains and it was the only link between these two brooklyn and manhattan and it was extremely busy and then suddenly you take the trains away and you put cars on and like less than half it was ridiculous i forgot the number but it just the number of passengers delivered by the bridge went down and i'm sure it got pounded a lot harder because all these cars went on it and therefore the vibrations Mm. and everything got worse on it and yet the delivered value was less this is one of the things that again transport engineers are probably aware of but like we've built cars into the equation and You know, you you stand at a stoplight, do this any day, stand at a stoplight or sit in your car and you ask yourself, well, every time there's a change in the light, how many vehicles go through? And it's like, oh, okay, so we maybe got 20, 30 vehicles or maybe even 100 vehicles through. That's very rare, by the way. But that means that's only like Mm. 100 people went through. And if that was the equivalent with, that's like one bus or two buses. Oh,
0: yeah, for sure. And you're, you're, space you're, allocation you're waiting yeah, yeah, minutes and minutes you think about it.
1: And, and so, and the people are frustrated who are waiting for the light to switch on their side and you how many cycles you have to wait to get through that light at, at rush hour. And it's so frustrating, but you just realize how low the throughput is on such a system based on cars so it's one of those things that you you know we're not measuring correctly either because mostly people say well how many lanes is the width of the street or the freeway and how many dollars does it cost and we somehow think that that's better the one thing that cars and roadways do permit is that they're sort of on 24 7 and they're continuous but they get bunched up and then you know consumption is not continuous it's very Peaky at different times of the day. And that's why you get traffic jams. Anyway, but the point is, yes, it's about metrics. It's about deciding. And metrics force you to think. They force you to also see things. It's like putting on a set of glasses and you see the world differently. Mm. That's why mm. I advocate for, you know, I think we should take the leadership position and say, we are going to define all transport with this measure because it encompasses not just gallons and miles but it also encompasses the weight of the payload which is the most important thing of all it's what did you get for that cost you know yes and, and that's that's yeah.
0: what I'm trying to do fantastic well thank you Horace I love this episode this was great I love it when you come off with these particular new frameworks it again gives you as you say a new lens on seeing the world and it's certainly been something that I've thought about a lot and never been able to quite articulate so i love that i now have something and again folks would love to hear from you on twitter if you're listening to this and just let us know what you think of this but also if you have any other names for it horace and i i know horace would be very open to hearing alternatives let's take it there and looking forward to hearing from everybody cheers horace thank you